Hey, thanks for listening to the Berwyn AG Podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world. We hope this podcast helps you grow closer to the Lord. For more information, you can visit our website, berwynag.org, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Berwyn AG. If you're blessed by what you hear today, be sure to share and subscribe. Thanks, and as always, God bless. If you have a Bible, turn with me. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. If you want to borrow the one in front of you, that's great too. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 25. We're going to preach on one verse today and uh, talk about the name of Jesus. Matthew 1, verse 25. Matthew 1, verse 25. If you ever get to drive through the back roads of Illinois, if you ever get a chance to drive through the back roads of Illinois, you come across some of the coolest names of towns. And by coolest, I mean head scratchers. Like every, every couple weeks, I drive through a town called Rudiment. And now Rudiment means basic, right? Just means something that's it's just, I mean, it, literally, if you blink your eyes, you're right through rudiment. But rudiment, it just seems like that, that was the name that you came up with your town. I mean, you're going to, the whole town came together and we, they all voted on rudiment. We want to be rudiment, Illinois. Uh, there's another town I drive through frequently. It's called Galatia. And I think, hmm, of all the books in the New Testament that you could name your, your town after, Galatia is an interesting one. I guess it's better than Corinthians, but not as good as Philippi, Illinois. It would have been, would have been great, but Galatia, I don't know. You know, Galatia, Galatians 5.1, you know, you've fallen from grace. I'm not sure I would want to name my town after the, after the anyway. My favorite above all towns, is Pankyville, Illinois. Pankyville, Illinois. Pankyville. Come on, your brain is just wondering, why would they name it Pankyville? I never stop and ask, but I, I assume it's where all the Pankies lived. I assume that they had a forefather whose name was Hank Panky, and he had a lot of children, and all the Pankies lived in that same place in Illinois, and so much so that when they got together, they said, we're just going to call it Pankyville, and I, I, in, my, in my amusement as I'm driving, I think to myself that in honor of Uncle Hank, they probably named a lot of their children after Hank Panky. And they call them all Little Hanky Panky. <laughs> and that's what they've named their town. Anyway, what's in a name? Who knows what's in a name? That's what, that's what we're at. We're, we're at this, this conjunction here where uh, 
we're looking at Christmas. We're looking at, I want to look at verse 25 of chapter 1 of Matthew. It says this, He had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he called him the name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, show us Jesus today. That's all we need to see is Jesus. Teach us of this historical moment when he called Jesus by his name. And Lord, help us to embody and reflect who Jesus is to the world around us. We pray it in the most glorious name that we've ever heard in all of our life. The name of Jesus. Amen. Normally a name is given via an inheritance. Uh, now in our culture, we just make names because they sound good, right? Some cultures, they just they create their own names. They take a little bit of this name and they make a little bit of that name and they just stick them together, right? And they call that, the, they're creating their own name. That's kind of cool uh, that, they, that they do that and they make up their own name. And uh, it's really hard sometimes when you first meet a person with a name that you've never heard of as opposed to like Bob or, you know, John. But, but it's still, it's interesting because that's probably the only person like that you've ever, you've ever met. Uh, sometimes we, we put our, the first name in the, in a given, you know, a, a family name together. Sometimes we are looking for a strong name for, for our children so that, so that they could be, they will, they will be successful in life, right? Like I think of Archer. Archer Edison Tinberg. That sounds to me like an attorney and uh, it's not hard to think Archer Edison Tinberg Esquire. It's not hard to, to, to imagine that. And I believe that's because Pastor Seth wanted his son to be rich and to take care of him later on in life. In the Bible, names mean a lot more than that. In the Bible, names are crucially important and they, they have something to do with the person's character. For Joseph to, to choose this name is huge. It means he, he has given in to God's sort of out-of-the-box way of bringing the Savior into the world. He was, don't forget, he was considering to divorce his bride. They had not consummated the marriage, but he was considering to put her aside quietly. He was considering it because he was thinking that something uh, untoward had happened in their relationship and that she had been unfaithful. And so he, was think he heard her story. The miraculous thing is he believed her story, you know, that, that an angel came to him. And yet at the same time, there's a part of him that said, like all men, is she making a fool of me or is this really the real thing? And then in the, into his sleep appears an angel and the angel speaks to him while he's asleep and he is convinced now. He's convinced. The angel says, uh, Joseph, son of David. I think that's interesting that when the angel speaks to him, he says, Joseph, son of David, because he points out to us that if Joseph chooses to name this child Jesus in alignment with the prophecy, that then, then 
Jesus can be said to have been from the house of David. And then he fulfills all the messianic prophecies. Now, uh, the other side of that is that according to the Gospel of Luke, Mary's lineage also comes from the household of David. So either way, Jesus comes from the house of David and He is, a, he is the Son of David. He is the Messiah that everyone's waiting on. But the name that He's being given he has to be given by Joseph. Joseph is the male and the male in the family is the one who names. And when you give a name to something, it means that that thing is now under your charge. When Adam gave names to all the animals, and it meant that Adam had assumed that he would be the one who would take care of the animals of the earth and that they were all under him. They were all under his authority. So when Joseph gives the name of Jesus, when he, if he would deign to say, we shall call his name Jesus, what he's saying is that, that now he will take care of God's Messiah. He will take him into his house and raise him as his own and he will teach him and he will instruct him and he will exemplify what it is to be a man of God. He will be the person who Jesus can look to in his very early years for care and instruction and nurture and teaching. It's so important for parents to realize that their kids are gifts from God. They're not yours forever. They will grow up and be on their own. Ask somebody with some gray hair in here. They realize that if they haven't experienced it already, they realize it's coming down the road. That their, their children are not their own. Their children have to make their own decisions. That generation after generation after generation are affected by the way that you raise your children. You have to be an example. You have to live your life in a way that will point your children to Jesus. Yes, there will be times when they forget what that looks like. Yes, they will take that for granted. But if you stay consistent, they will be the ones that draw themselves back into the presence of the Holy Spirit. The hunger on the inside of their heart. If you raise up a child in the ways of the Lord, when he is old, he will not depart. That's the promise of Scripture. I got lost on the internet this week. Do you ever get lost on the internet? You find yourself on a web page. You don't even know how you got to the web page that you're on. This week, I found myself on Deion Sanders' Facebook page. I don't even know how that happened. But at some point, the thought occurred to me, wait, Deion Sanders has a Facebook page? Let's click on that. And see what that says. And this is, this is what it says. It says, you know that little line that you get under, underneath your name on Facebook where you get to de be declarative about who you are? Come on, Deion Sanders has some stuff to write on there, right? I mean, he, he you know, Hall of Fame, All Pro, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but but what, does, what will he write on there? This is what I was so impressed about. He writes this. Man of God. Father, former NFL player, network analyst, pro football Hall of Fame. Man of God is the first thing on his list. See, no matter what you accomplish in life, no matter what things you do, 
if man of God is not the first thing on your list, if man or woman of God is not the first thing on your list, then your children are likely to forget the God that you serve and you worship. You have to define yourself by your relationship to God. Well, that was for free. Joseph assumes that Mary and Jesus will come under his tutelage, his training, his example, his life. We don't know how long Joseph lived. He must have died early because we don't hear much about him in the life of Jesus. You will call his name Jesus. In other words, the angel appears to him and says, listen, if you buy this story, if you are in this all the way, if you're willing to be obedient to God, if you're willing to be shamed by people who think you've been snookered by your bride, if you're willing to be humiliated and talked about behind your back, if you're willing to endure this, name him Jesus. The name means Savior. Name him Jesus because he will save us from our sins. That is the reason for the name. Jesus is the Greek version of the, of the name Joshua. In Deuteronomy 18.18, 18, Moses prophesies that there will come a prophet after him who is like him. That God will raise up another prophet and for years, many people thought it was Joshua that was raised up. He followed Moses. But then the rabbis began to teach, this wasn't Joshua at all. This was a forward representation of the coming one, the Messiah who would come. And John, one of the, one of the people in the, in the book of John, comes up and says, are you the prophet? The prophet. They're referring to Deuteronomy 18, 18. Are you the prophet that's going to come? Are you the prophet that we've all been waiting for, Jesus? Are you the one that we're looking for? Are you, are you the Joshua that we've really been looking for? You see, the name has prophetic impact even in misunderstanding it. The child is named Jesus. The name of a, of a person in Bible times reveals their character, it reveals their personality, it reveals the circumstances around their birth, it reveals their destiny. It's often considered a revelation of the true nature of a person. For instance, Jacob, the name Jacob, heel grabber, a, a, a person who's a trickster, that, 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 that defined, it, it, it told who, who his what his character was like. God later changed his name to Israel, the prince of God. In a way, God changes all of us conniving heel grabbers into sons of God. Nabal is a person in the Bible. Remember, he was married to Abigail. And she is begging for mercy that David won't kill him 
And she says, his name means fool. (laughs) Now ladies, just give thanks to the Lord this morning that you aren't married to fool. His name is fool and his foolishness is ever with him. Wow. That's just what you want your wife to say about you. Anyway, the name has to do with your character, has to do with your destiny. If you say to someone, I'm going to blot your name out from under heaven, that means I'm going to execute judgment on you and your family and your family's family. I'm going to burn down everything you ever owned. I'm going to remove your name from under the earth. No one will ever remember you existed. Anyone who knew you, I will kill and I will wipe out everyone. That's a severe judgment. It's used over and over and over again in the Old Testament if you read the Old Testament. I will blot out your name from under heaven. The ultimate tearing down. The name of Jesus not only had prophetic significance, but it pointed to the destiny that we all know and we just celebrated at the house of the Lord here. The power of a name is amplified. The prophetic character of the name is amplified by the way the person lives their life. So in other words, it's one thing to name your kid Savior, but your kid has to live like a Savior in order to be the Savior, right? I mean, it wouldn't do any good if Joseph names Jesus Jesus and then and Jesus doesn't live and carry himself as a Savior, but as the Scripture says, he was tempted in every account just as we are, and yet he's sinless. And because of that, he can live up to the name of Savior. Maybe, maybe you are, are, are loved or, 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 or you are strength, or maybe, you are, maybe your name means, means bold. Whatever your name means... That's just a a call to the destiny that someone saw in you as they named you that. But you still have to live up to that. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In in Acts chapter 4, it says this, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In other words, what the Bible is telling us is that Jesus was not only prophetically forecast that he would be Savior, but that he lived up to the actual livingness of the Savior, that his lifestyle carried, he walked, and he talked like a Savior. Jesus, at the end of his life, in all humility, says to his disciples, Go in my name. Think about that for a second. Jesus recognized the power in his own name. And he says, go out there, 
Make disciples in my name. He guarantees those who would go make disciples in his name with two things. Number one, his divine presence will be with them every step of the way and he will never leave them nor forsake them. And those who go will go with the authority of God and their words will carry the authority of God. All authority has been given unto me, Matthew 28. So since all authority has been given to Him, when you go in His name, you go walking in His authority. Now, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 19, because this is kind of a funny story, uh, kind of a sad story, but a poignant one altogether. Acts chapter 19. Verse 13 says, Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know. And I know about Paul, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. All that to say, although it is kind of a funny picture, but it has a very powerful spiritual import into our life. We cannot have a second-hand relationship to God. Some of us in here have, have multiple relationships. You're a son, you're a grandson, you're a father. But God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. You are either a child of God or you are not a child of God. You can't say, I came to the, you can, you can testify, I came to the Lord because of the prayers of my grandmother. But God did not say, oh, I loved your grandmother, I'll accept you, come on in as a kind of the red-headed stepchild of the, of the Holy Ghost family. No, he said, come in, my son, I accept you. That's what we read in the communion passage in, in Galatians chapter 4, that we have been adopted as sons into his presence. We are in relationship with him. You can't use the name of Jesus because you heard of him. You can't use the name of Jesus because you read a book that you got at the Christian bookstore. You can't use the name of Jesus because you heard a good sermon about Jesus. You can't use the name of Jesus because you like the sound of the name. You can't use the name of Jesus because you know you need more power than what you have. You can only use the name of Jesus if you are in right relationship with Jesus Christ Himself. And if you are living your life and determining that you will carry yourself to carry the presence and the authority of Jesus Christ into someone else's life. This week, you're going to go eat with your family. And some of your family will see you as the same snotty-nosed kid that you were 20, 30 years ago. But you are not that person. 
You are not that person. We walk with the authority of Jesus Christ. We have, if we know Christ, then we carry ourselves in a specific way to bring the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. It is the reason for you being. It is the only reason. Yes, it's figgy pudding and uh, wonderful things that you're... Who eats figgy pudding? I don't know. But it's, it's a lot of holiday food. I get it. And I get it, that's your mom and your dad, and I, I get that that's your family, and you're all gathered around, and I know you're going to overeat and all that, but if you don't go into that place carrying the name of Jesus on you, then you are missing a golden opportunity to be who God has called you to be. Now, you don't have to preach the whole time, but you need to tell somebody, have you thought about the reason for the season? You need to be able to say to someone, have you given thought to Jesus? It's a lifetime commitment. The Apostle Paul, towards the end of his life, says, I want to know Christ. The Apostle Paul says that. I want to know Christ and the fellowship of His suffering. I want to somehow be united with Him and totally get Him. I want His power and His authority and everything that He is, I want that to be made known to me. It's a lifetime to get to know what the name represents. So we go to someone else in the name of the Lord to represent Him. Are we really representing Him? In our word, in our deed, in our attitude. You know, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, probably a duck. If you walk like a man of God, if you go in like a woman of God, like a person who's put off all their foolishness and who's serious about living for the name that is above every other name. If you live your life like that, other people, some people, will think perhaps you're just pretending or you somehow have deluded yourself that you're not the person that you used to be. But when they finally can't stand it anymore and they confront you with your past, you can truly say, Oh, I did do all that stupid stuff. I'm sorry for that. But I am not who I once was. My life is not my own. It has been given over to Christ. I'm a new person in Christ. How do you walk with the name of Jesus on your life? How do you walk? Do you walk like you're headed for a better place than this? Do you walk like you have a purpose? Do you walk like you have fire shut up in your bones? Do you walk like you know the reason for the season? Do you walk like you know why wise men still seek this Jesus? Do you walk like you know the King of Kings? Do you walk like you are pregnant with hope that at any moment a miracle could break through into your life? Do you walk with a spirit of praise and thanksgiving over your life? Do you walk as if you understand that God laid aside everything to send His Son to die for the likes of you and for those that you know? Is that how you walk? Or you just walk over to the cheese plate and try the cheddar with jalapeno. <laughs> the name of Jesus has been given to us to pray in. 
To pray in Jesus' name is not just to say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer. It means that you have to represent Christ in the way that you pray and the things that you pray for. One author writes this, This cannot but govern the kind and the quality of your prayers. Rather than just tacking tacking this on the end of your prayer, in Jesus' name, bless the meatballs. But rather, it sobers you to recognize I'm praying as if Jesus were here and I'm the authority over my family and I'm praying that God would save this little one who's so young he doesn't have a destiny and save this old guy who's so lost he, he really doesn't have much time and save this gal over here and Lord, oh bless the meatballs we're so thankful that you gave us some meatballs but Lord, bring us together as a family because I know it's not your will that any should perish but that all should come to everlasting life that's the kind and the quality of our prayers that we should be praying to live our life in the name of Jesus means, well, it means everything. It means everything. It means everything is different. Jesus gave us the key to heaven's life. We can pray. We can baptize. We can teach. We can heal. We can deliver. We can do all these things and many more things in Jesus' name. Every believer in Jesus' name, according to Romans chapter 10, every believer who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. Every single one. Every believer is, is said that we should do everything in the name of the Lord. This is not an add-on. This is not power windows. This is everything. This is the powertrain of your life. Your spiritual life. This is who He is flowing through who you are. Christmas is merely the recognition that that's how it began. That God sent His Son in this abject humility to humble Himself, to become vulnerable among us and to live His life as an example. Listen, this morning, if you haven't called upon the name of the Lord, like it says in Romans chapter 10, then you simply aren't saved. You have no hope of eternity unless you call upon the name of the Lord. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, and you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God has raised Christ from the dead and that 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 thing we just celebrated was more than crackers and juice. It was a remembrance of the great sacrifice that the one who came in a manger offered up for us. Then you know that you are saved. And it's, you know, baseball doesn't help us here. Because baseball, when you make it all the way around to home plate and the throw comes in from the outfield and the catcher stands up into the, into the baseline and you hook slide into home and, and the tag misses you, the umpire says, safe! A lot of us think of salvation like that. Like we're just a hook slide coming in and we just reach out and touch the, the outside edge of home plate and God says, 
saved. But that's, you know, that guy gets up, he dusts himself off, he walks back and high-fives everybody in the heavenly uh, dugout, and that's the end of his life. At least for a couple more innings until we get to see him again. But that's not the way it is for the believer. When God calls you saved, then something brand new begins. This life in the name of Jesus now begins. And you get to go forward into all the world carrying that name wherever you go. And it didn't, just, it didn't re- result, your salvation isn't a result of your expertise at hook sliding. It's because Jesus paved the way for you and now He offers you transformation. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to be transformed. Gosh, I've been wanting to say that to them for a long time. (laughs) I am so grateful for you to say that. Thank you for confronting one another in Jesus' name. Right? Just avoid it. If you aren't supposed to have cookies, don't hang around cookies. Then you have to know what temptation looks like. Most of the time, we have trouble with that. How many affairs start off with friendliness? Right? I just thought we were working together and we just worked really well together and, you know, he listens when I talk and my husband at home, he doesn't listen at all. He just had a head in the game and flipping channels with the remote. I say something and This guy at work, he respects me. He turns and looks me in the eye and says, that is brilliant. Suddenly, now, you feel validated. Right? You didn't say, today, I'm going to go have an affair. But now you start feeling the machinations of something stirring in that Some fiery dart is now flaming up in your life because you don't know what temptation looks like. Listen, when you're, when God has given you what I have here, I have to be very careful how I handle myself. There's a lot of sexiness right in this. I understand it. I understand it. But when I go out, I don't go in full frontal hugs. I give the good old evangelical side hug. Why? Because I don't want to cause any ladies to stumble. And because I could stumble. Know yourself and know what temptation looks like. Do you find yourself suddenly drawn to somebody and you can't say no? You realize the skids are off and you're sliding. Bail! Jump off the train! Once you know what temptation looks like, adjust yourself accordingly. Don't go in those places, stay in the Word. I was so disappointed in Lauren Daigle. 
You know who she is? The singer, the, what a, just a phenomenal voice, big singer. And they asked her about some specific sin, and she waffled on that sin. She said, I don't know if that's sin or not. Oh, come on. You big coward. Just look them straight in the face and tell them, well, the Word of God says that's a sin. But why is it that we, we bail on that because we want to be liked, because we want... Listen. If you're in the Word, the Word rings true in you. And you, it sets the standard. It sets the standard for our life. I don't have to wonder about these things because I know God has designed. He's designed it the specific way. This is how life works best. That's what, that's what he's saying. Life works best like this. Why am I embarrassed to say, yeah, that's the way it works best? That's what God said. Well, I think. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think. Well, pastor, don't you want my opinion? Not in the least. My position here is to educate you on what the Word of God says. If you believe differently than the Word of God, then you have to take it up with the author of the Word of God, which is God. You say, well, I've, how can I serve a God that I don't agree with? Well, we go back to rule number one. Submit yourself. Jesus is not just a friend, no matter what the Doobie Brothers said. Jesus is Lord. If you don't understand what Lord means, that means boss. That means what he says goes. You say, well, I, don't, I, just, don't, I just don't know if I can do that. Me either. I don't think you can. It's going to take a work of the Holy Ghost in you that will bring you to the place of submission. Well, aren't there things that you're not sure of? A lot of those things. And so when I'm in those places, I don't defer to my own carnal mind. I defer to the Word of God. I say, well, this is what he said, so I'm going to do it. Does it make sense to me that I should give 10% of my income to God? Every time I do that, I go, well, it would be so much easier to live with this 10%. But my experience has been that God makes ways for me when I give him the 10%. God makes ways for me to have to... You say, well, oh, I'm so offended. Tough beans, be offended. I might leave the church. Well, then you might have to. That's the bottom line. Because my goal is not to make us a thousand deep. My goal is to make us spiritually deep. And whatever the number of people that are in here, my, my goal is that we're all working the, for the same Jesus. Ooh, I'm getting fired up. Don't, don't get me riled up. But that's the truth. If you came for a little dabble, do your faith, you've got to go to the church down the road. This is all out. All out. Discipleship. This is what we're supposed to do. Discipleship means God knows what's best. My life is moldable. He's going to shape me into whatever his word says. You say, well, I don't know what the word says. Well, then read it. Well, I do read it, but I don't understand it. Well, then ask someone. You say, well, I just don't know who to ask. Email me. Email me your question. I'll answer it. Whatever your question is. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Whatever the, whatever the ridiculous question that you have. I will answer your question. If it's a really good question, 
I'll remove your name and I'll put it on the, 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 my, the pastor's blog so that other people can learn from your question. So we can all grow together. That's my, that's my whole job. Is That's my whole job to do that. To put you, well, what do you think? Now, if you ask me when's the Lord coming back, I don't know. I'll give you the biblical answer soon. Sixth thing, pray, know yourself, know what temptation looks like, adjust your life according to that, stay in the word. Sixth thing is, get rest. If you aren't rested, you will get bested. Oh, that was good. Man, that would, if I was in an African-American church, that would have just busted out. Woo! But not you guys. Get some rest. You will give in the temptation every time you're tired. Because it takes energy to say, no cookie for me. I'll have the salmon. Look for the escape. Look for the escape. That's number seven. Number eight, if you can't find the escape... Run. Flee temptation. That's what the Bible says to do. If, whether you could see the... Just run. If you can't find the door, just run in circles. That's the truth. Just run. Just get running. Just get running. You just have to get, get on the move. Get away from the temptation. Ah. I, I don't have an answer. I don't have the wherewithal. I don't have the strength. I don't know the Bible verse that's going to help me get, 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 up, 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 up. Just get running. And go. And if you get to the door and the door's locked, oh no, run the other door. And if that door's locked, run to this door. Do I need to keep, do I need to do all the doors? At least then when you finally give in the temptation, you can say, Lord, I look for every escape. But there wasn't no escape. I ran myself weary. I gave in because I didn't have enough rest. See, God wants to set you free. Now, I know that's funny. But that's all true. And I want you to take a second and ask yourself, and that temptation that's doing you in, what is it that you're not doing? Are you not in the Word? Are you not rested? Are you not fleeing because you're afraid of what it'll look like to people around you? You know, we want to be the big bad guy, don't we? I can handle anything they can throw at me. No, you have to understand who you are. Wimpy. You are wimpy when it comes to temptation. The devil is not all powerful, but he's more powerful than you. And he's shooting from the bushes. You don't even know where he's at. He's a, he's a satanic sniper. And he's looking to shoot at you. Probably already is shooting at you, but even if you've got some kind of sanctuary in here, as you leave this place, he's, he's got you 
in His sights. We need to pray. We need to pray. Let's pray. God, 100% of us are tempted. And you want 100% of us to have victory in temptation. We're going to need you to teach us and to show us. And maybe there's more, Lord, maybe there is more. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. The shield of faith is that which extinguishes the fiery darts of the wicked one. No psychology, no list of do's and don'ts. It's just the shield of our faith. So this morning we come to you and we ask that you would do a work in our hearts. Would you stand to your feet where you are this morning? While you're at your feet, I, I, want, you, I want to ask you or suggest to you that you would repent for these things. Repent that you haven't recognized the battle that you're in. My sister, the reason why we don't pray the way you prayed when you suddenly realized that you were under attack. The reason why we don't pray is because we don't recognize that we're in a battle. We think we're on vacation. We're not. We're in the battle. Yes, Jesus won the victory. Yes, it's all going to work out in the end. The question is, what are you going to do on Sunday? What are you going to do on Monday? How are you going to face Tuesday? Father, will you help us to recognize that we're in a battle? We repent of not having recognized that the enemy is after us. He's trying to undo us. We repent for dry shields in this place. For shields that should be soaked in the Word, but they've grown dry and cracked because we haven't been in your presence and we haven't been in your Word, Lord God. And your provision has turned into a problem for us, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to soak our shield of faith in the water of the Word so that it will extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy when he comes after us. And Father, we ask that you will help us to pray in the Holy Spirit and so build up our most holy faith. Teach us how to have a prayer life, Lord God, that touches the hem of your garment. I pray it in Jesus' name. I ask it for your honor and your glory. Now, Thanks for listening. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. We take pride in creating free content that will hopefully enrich your life and lead you closer to the heart of the Father. If you are blessed by what you heard today, help us continue to make content just like this by sharing, subscribing, and if you feel led, by contributing financially on our website, berwinag.org. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, contact us on our website, berwinag.org, or on social media at berwinag. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.